So Money episode 285, Ask Farnoosh with special guest Jackette Timmons. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. It's Friday, which, as you know, it means it's time to make the show all about you answering your money questions. And I've gotten many, many, many since our last get together last Friday. Just want to say thank you for reaching out and asking all these great questions. Joining me today, I have a special guest. You are familiar with her and her talents. Her name is Jackette Timmons, and she was on episode 266 talking all about the psychology of money and this our behavior, our underlying behaviors and beliefs around our finances. Jackette Timmons uh, is back to help us steer your questions to the right answers, and I'm so happy to have her back. Jackette, welcome. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. It's so excited to be back. You know, as soon as I finished interviewing you in episode 266, I was like, I want you to tag team with me for an Ask Farnoosh and Jackhead episode because I think what you bring to the table is so unique and so needed. You know, you don't just kind of dissect the numbers, but you really more importantly look at the behavior behind why we make the decisions that we do. And you also specialize in relationships and you're so experienced and you come from an extremely unique background. You didn't always have your heart set on Wall Street or finance or helping people with their money. You actually started out as a marketing major and were thinking about going into fashion. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that actually, I think it is reflective of the fact that our financial journeys are never a straight line either. Mm -hmm. So um, it being not a straight line and then also just the discipline of what I call thinking like a designer, I think really adds a lot and brings a lot of texture to the way in which I think and and the way in which I work with people. Well, let's take off from there because we have a question today from Brad who says that he wants to start turning his earned income into passive income. And he says, I have many ideas for businesses to start on a large and small scale, such as starting my own accounting firm to owning a gumball machine in a store or mall. Wow, that's pretty broad. And he says, besides buying stocks, is there an investment that you can recommend where you can start small and then scale up as you go? I'd love to buy a money tree for $100 that produces $10 in income, I guess $1,000 in income a year, and then buy another money tree each year and so on. Money tree used for illustrative purposes. Yeah, we get it, Brad. (laughs) I was like, where is he going with this? Oh, okay. It's It's a metaphor. Well, Jackhead, I mean, you started your own business after coming from a completely different background. What would you suggest to Brad? It doesn't seem like he has a lot of seed money or a lot of income to invest, but he is looking for something that will be fruitful in the long run. Any ideas? Well, I have a couple. Um, 
I have a challenge <laughs> only because I have tried it. Um, I have a challenge with the word passive income because I think that oftentimes when people say it, they literally think that they do something once and then they have they don't have to do anything else. And yet, you know, the money will continue to come in. So um, I would just caution for Brad and for anyone else that is of the mindset of creating passive income is to really make sure that you understand that passive income does not mean that you are passive. It just means that you have a, a different kind of relationship to whatever the underlying business is. That said, um, one of the ideas that he had was to do a gumball machine. Well, to me, that only would really work and, and fall into the passive, uh, box, if you will, if he had multiple gumball machines. And I don't know how many gumball machines you could have in one mall or one location. So I think um, while, you know, that's like a fancy idea, like, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, it's a nice little widget kind of a thing. And I'm I'm a consumer of gumball machines. (laughs) I'm, I'm that weirdo in the kids section of Macy's who's putting her quarter in, maybe two, and getting gumballs. Because I don't know. It just, it's, for me, it's like a throwback to the 80s. Oh, yeah. Totally, totally. But again, it's the widget, right? So um, kudos for him for thinking along those lines of let me figure out what the widget is. But again, I think that it is only going to generate the kind of revenue that he's looking for, you know, the $1,000 a year, Um if he has multiple machines and I don't know how much even a single gumball machine makes number one. Um, I don't know how much it costs. I don't know how much it makes and I don't know where he lives to really kind of figure that out. So one of the things that I would recommend in his particular case is wherever he is looking to put these gumball machines, that if he hasn't, that he do some foot traffic analysis. Um, Some of that perhaps he can even buy and some of it, he just needs to like park himself out and just hang out <laughs> wherever he's yeah, um, stock those malls. Exactly, exactly, and figure that out. So that's that's my comment there with regards to the uh, part-time accounting. If he has, you know, his CPA and he can do taxes on the side. I mean, he could be really busy for, you know, three, six months, three, four, six months out of the year. But that would be a way of um, generating some revenue and a good chunk of revenue. Um, It's not passive, but it also isn't something that he has to do all of the time. So I hope that answers. I think you've given him a lot of uh, direction as far as how to really maximize these ideas and yeah, certainly doing people's taxes, not passive, definitely not <laughs> passive, but maybe you get the summers off. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe he only, you know, bills himself out, if you will, mm-hmm. from January through April. And then that's it. Like he's not setting himself up to be a CPA firm. And I so. see that as having more of a, a long-term growth opportunity than a gumball machine. I'm not really sure where you go from the gumball machine, but maybe from starting with one or two clients over the tax season to help them on the side with their tax paperwork. And then that could grow into more clients. And then, hey, maybe you could quit your day job and just do that if you're really passionate about it and it's going well. Maybe you could do some uh, some some situation where you're helping people just virtually with their taxes as opposed to uh, face-to-face. The other thing, you know, if you're only looking to make 
I think this was a typo too in his question. He said, I want to make $10 a year. I think it, I, I'm, I'm going to say 10, hundred, a thousand a year. You know, collecting your loose change can add to a thousand dollars a year. <laughs> I have a coin jar in my house that we deposit all of our loose change in every day. And every few months we, we pour it out, we go to the bank and we deposit it and it's, and it's like $300. So right. do that a few times a year and you've got your thousand bucks and you haven't right. really done anything. You've just gone through right. your couch cushions and your pockets. Totally, totally. And then, you know, to to kind of loop it back to one of the comments that you made in your really gracious, I thank you, introduction of me is going back to the why. I think what would really help him figure out whether he does one of these two avenues or maybe both is to go back to what is the target number. I mean, I know he said a thousand dollars, but why is that number important to him? And, um, you know, having it grow to multiples of 10, that's all well and good. But I think from a directional standpoint, if you're a little bit more concrete about what comes after you've reached that multiple, I think that will help also to inform what decision he makes today. Right. And how fast he wants to move on that decision. Exactly. You know, if you know you need this money to buy a home next year, well, you've got a year and change and maybe even not as much time because you have to apply for the mortgage and this and that. You want to have the down payments. So come up with the goal first and then work backwards. I like that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Great advice. All right. Juliana writes in Jackette and she says, hey, Farnoosh, if I'm maxing out my 401k and my Roth IRA, and I have money left over to invest, where should I be holding bond funds? I read somewhere that bonds and REITs should be held in tax-sheltered accounts and not taxable accounts, but I'm confused as to why. Could you explain the best practices for which accounts to put bonds versus stocks? (laughs) Well, first of all, can I say she's rocking it out? I know, right? (laughs) This is a very technical question. Really, like such a so money question because she's doing everything and now she has some money left over and now it's about a detail around bonds and taxes. Exactly. Which is not my department, by the way. Jackette, what do you think? So a couple of things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure where she heard that rule, but I was always told that the general rule of thumb is that you actually do stocks in your tax deferred accounts and bonds in your taxable accounts. Um, so that's the first thing. The second piece is I think a lot of it has to do, and this is a detail that we don't have about Juliana, is um, how much time is there between now and when she retires? And if I can just put a pin there for a moment, when I say retire in my mind, because I really think the whole definition and the exercise of retirement is, is just on the cusp of going through a whole new kind of redefinition. Um, I don't mean retirement in the, in, in the sense of it, that it has to be a hard stop at work. It could just simply be that that's when she reaches the age where she can, you know, withdraw some money from her tax deferred accounts without any penalty. So I'm not quite sure where she fits in on that in terms of the number of years from now and to that point. If it is the case that she has more than 15 years to go, then I think that what I said earlier in terms of stocks being in a tax deferred account and bonds being in a taxable account is definitely the way to go. Um, But if it's the case that she has less than 15 years, she might want to do 
um, bonds in a tax deferred account, but it also depends on what kind of bonds, like she should definitely not do municipal bonds because that doesn't make sense. So I actually have more questions in her for her than I do answers. That's but I fair. Hope, That's but I fair. Hope- I, th- I think it sounds like she needs to maybe talk to an accountant or, she, uh, yeah. you know, there are a lot of ways where you can just ask an ad- a financial advisor a question that takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes, maybe an hour, and you're not really partnering with this advisor, but they're kind of helping you with a la carte situations. We've had guests on the show um, like Sophia Barra and uh, the folks from XY Planning Network that can help you do that. So if you need to answer a very specific question about your finances, that requires a lot more than just asking me on my show. And you've been great, but you know what I mean? There's definitely a lot more that we need to uncover about her goals and where she is financially. Maybe best to just invest a couple hundred bucks an hour. Maybe it's just one hour to have somebody kind of give you a more precise answer. Yeah. And, and I, but I do think that the general rule of thumb is though that you do stocks and tax deferred and bonds and taxable accounts. Um, and you should never in your tax deferred do munis because there's just no benefit for that from a tax standpoint. Gotcha. Okay. That's still really great advice. I, thanks, Juliana. And let me know if we can help you further steer you towards some of those, um, those advisors who can work with you on a, uh, just, you know, situation basis. Crystal says, hey, Farnoosh, I've been really enjoying the show over the past few months. Well, thanks, Crystal. Glad. Thank you for subscribing. She says, there's one money issue that I cannot seem to find an answer to on my own. I have a number of student loans with variable interest rates. I'm curious to find out how will a hike in the federal interest rate affect my payments? My Google searches have just left me confused. Also, is it worth trying to refinance prior to any rate increase? I tried a few months ago, but my credit score isn't the best. So I was denied. Well, I mean, yes, the, 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 you don't really have to search far and long. The, the short answer is that generally speaking, when the interest, when interest rates go up, that impacts uh, a lot of products like student loans, mortgages, car loans, credit card rates. The thing is, right now, we are still in a very, very low interest rate environment. And the expectation is that soon, I think probably by the end of the year or next year, we'll see rates begin to go up. It's not going to be a situation where they're going to increase rates by like 5%. Usually they do it very, very incrementally, a quarter of a percent, which by the time it trickles down into the consumer market, it's not going to be a huge, huge impact. But over a year's worth of interest rate hikes, you'll start to feel the difference. And with a variable interest rate on a student loan, you'll be definitely among those impacted. So I would try to refinance. What do you think, Jacket? If you can, if your credit score is not where it needs to be, then you need to find out why. Why is your credit score not where it needs to be? Is it because you're not paying your bills on time? Is it because you don't have enough variety of credit? And so start there and investigate why your credit score isn't where it needs to be. Pull your credit report from annualcreditreport.com. You can do that once a year for free and see where the holes are and the gaps potentially are and work on that. So that in a few months, in half, in six months' time, you might be able to reapply when your scores increased. Well, yeah, you know, two things came to mind. Um, one is I think she's looking in the wrong place when she said she was doing a Google search. What she really needs to do is go to the providers um, of her student loans and 
review again the loan documents because in that document or in those documents, she will actually see the terms in terms of the trigger. Um, So, you know, variable means that it can go up and down. In this case, more than likely, you're right, her, her, her amount is going to go up. But there should be some sort of term in there that says if, you know, prime is X, this is how much your um, amount is going to go up by. So she won't be taken completely off guard if she goes back and reviews those terms. But the other thing that I thought of was, and I don't remember his name, but you had a fabulous guest on one of your previous episodes, and um, he's the gentleman that created the, you know, the space for refinancing student loans. So I don't know if she's a candidate for that oh, service. Right. Uh, um, Dan but- Macklin, who's the founder of SoFi. There you go. Yes. I was going to mention that. Thank you for bringing that up. So there is a website called SOFI.com, SoFi, and they're in the... Uh, in the business of helping borrowers, mainly student loan borrowers, but they're growing into other aspects of the financing world to help them consolidate their loans, regardless of whether it's a private, a public, you can combine them, get one rate. I will say though, they're pretty selective. You know, they're not looking for people with very, very low credit scores. So in that case too, you may have to kind of uh, brush up on your credit health, but it's worth looking into that and applying because it's an alternative to going with a traditional bank. If you're getting rejected there, maybe SoFi can be your solution. Yeah. But I would just say as a general, you know, I know Google is like the, the search Bible, but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> that's not where we should be searching. No, so it's like searching. For, it's like you have a rash on your wrist and you're like, what is it? And you know, everything on Google, it makes you want to like cry and <laughs> yeah, it's it can it's it can be more doom and gloom than than it really is. So thank you for asking your question, uh, because I think it's important to, you know, check with other parties mm-hmm. <laughs> for some yep, solutions. Totally. And thanks for listening to the show. OK, uh, next, Lily. She says, Farnoosh, thank you for doing such a wonderful job with this podcast. Listening to it is a very important part of my day. Well, Lily, thank you. You're why I do the show. She says, I'm a Boston-based millennial and a bit of a career transition. I recently left my job to pursue deeper training in technical marketing through a startup school. This podcast has sparked my interest in fintech and behavioral economics. Do you know of any resources besides your blog to explore fintech startups? I'm interested in learning more about the industry and also potentially working for one in the near future. I love going on blogs, and they're not really blogs, they're robust websites uh, such as Tech Meme, Tech M-E-M-E. There's also um, a lot of fintech founders who've been on my show. You should look them up. People like Ethan Block from Digit.co. He's an example of somebody who's been very successful in the fintech space, created an app that, that automatically helps you save money. And so maybe looking at these folks, these founders and how they got started, where they got their funding, where they're getting incubated could be a good resource for you. That stuff is all online. And I wanted to remember also for you, a it's an annual event. TechCrunch, I think, hosts it, in fact, where they look for the next big fintech startup and they reward this uh, company with some money and it's an annual thing. It might be um, the disrupt for fintech, but look into those sites. They can sometimes guide you towards resources. 
I would add to that um, checking out, uh, I think it's called FinTech Innovation Lab or Innovative Lab. She can find them on Google. (laughs) Yeah, we just said Google wasn't the best resource, but. mm -hmm. Um, And then also maybe join um, under the media umbrella, because I don't think she falls into any of the other options, but she can join the FinTech Collective. And quite honestly, I'm thinking of doing that just because it just really, it really sounds uh, fascinating in terms of, um, you know, just getting getting insight into some of the firms that you might not ever hear of um, because they may be bought before they even act, whatever they're working on becomes, you know, something that you and I use on a, a day-to-day basis. But I think it could give her some insight into that. And um, going that, back to- Is that FinTech fin- Innovation Lab? Is that what that is? Well, there's one that's called FinTech Innovation Lab. And, and, and to be clear, what I think would be helpful for her there is to um, just look under there. They have a, a tab called Portfolios and just look there on a, you know, have that be maybe part of your weekly, uh, you know, part on your weekly task list that you go and you just check out and see what companies are in the portfolio, if there are any changes and just kind of brush up on that. So that would be one thing. And then the other is uh, the FinTech Collective. And then I would also like Stanford has a really huge, um, behavioral uh, finance. I think they even actually call it a behavioral finance lab. She might find some interesting case studies or articles there. Um, You know, companies, financial companies like Capital One and uh, P&C, they actually have now a behavioral finance and innovation division. So she might want to, you know, do some back end research to see what they might be up to. And also, this may be overwhelming to hear, but I think it could be helpful for you to learn how to code, you know, just basically so that you can understand how to engineer some of these products that you have in your head and at least at the very least be able to better communicate this to your development team eventually that you might be working with. And my husband actually works at a company named called General Assembly. And they're a school essentially all over the globe where you can go online actually or in the school to learn how to code, to learn UX design, all aspects of technology. And there they also do a lot of meetups that are open to the public often where they bring in speakers sometimes around this topic. So look into also your local kind of community in Boston. I know there's a, a, a general assembly in Boston. So look at their website and see what's coming, what's, you know, what they're offering and what might be free to you to, to drop in and, and observe. All right. Good luck to you. I love that there's more women that are interested in fintech. I think that's really powerful and, and important. Totally. Gordy says, I love your name, Gordy. Um, he says, hey, Farnoosh, or she, I don't know. I'm, I apologize. People always think I'm a man when they don't know me. They think Farnoosh is a male name. Which it is, by the way. It's both male and female. It says, thanks so much for your podcast and the rich content. Question, what recommendations and resources do you have to make the most out of extra savings after retirement? So similar to Juliana, it's a good problem to have, I suppose. 
What do you do after your savings and retirement accounts have been maxed out? How should I invest beyond my 401k and my IRA? My husband and I are saving for a down payment and have emergency savings, but we want to make this money work for us as much as possible with limited risk beyond a traditional savings. I grew up in a home of savings, not investing, and finding out information about brokerage, money market is proving to be difficult. Keep up the good work. Well, Jacket, what do you think about maybe a taxable account, like a brokerage account? They have the 401k. They have savings. Maybe it's time to have something that's like a taxable brokerage account. Uh, yeah, well, okay. Wait a second. I, I need. I need to go back because um, this is why I had you on the show too. Because you are looking at. You're like, okay. Wait a minute, Farnoosh. Hold on. Breaks. She's got. Tell me about your mother, Gordy. Here. Tell me about your upbringing. What's really going on? Oh in my your god. Head? No, she's got. She's got conflicting. She's. She's stating conflicting interest here. So on one hand, um, she is saying that she doesn't want to take on too much risk. Right. And then on another hand, she's also indicating that she wants to save for a house that I presume will be purchased in a short amount of time. Am I, did I hear correctly? Um, yeah, it sounds like it. Okay. So first of all, If you are saving up for any goal that you are looking to fulfill, be able to achieve between zero and five years, that money should never be in the stock market. The best place for that is a money market account is perhaps maybe a CD, you know, depending upon the length of time, um, a six month CD that rolls over and gives you the flexibility, but she should never put that in the stock market. So Yeah, Um, I assume that they had the money for the down payment because she says she has savings. But I agree, as a homeowner, too, you got to think about after you buy the home, there are a lot of expenses that you may not anticipate now that will be immediate. And having as much money as possible that's liquid, that is at the ready, will be important. Yeah. All right. Good advice. And finally, let's round out here with Ricky's question. It says, hey, Farnoosh, I'm applying for a job with my current company. However, my employer has provided some indication that any job offers would most likely be a lateral move despite the increase in work and responsibility. Yikes. When I receive an offer for a transfer, how can I negotiate a better salary or promotion? Oh my gosh. Well, I always love hearing about people who want to negotiate who uh, – because you have to. They're not going to offer you a better salary or better conditions. You have to ask for it. Sounds like they're already showing some resistance. They're kind of uh, positioning this as a lateral move, so don't get excited about – it's going to be a lateral salary move as well, presumably. I mean, honestly, Ricky, I think that simultaneous to preparing for this conversation with your employer to talk about salary, you want to be looking outside your company for other jobs because sometimes making a lateral move to another company will inc- will help you increase your salary significantly, far more than you would if you stayed in-house. What do you think, Jackhead? I mean, I could talk a lot about how to negotiate in this situation for you, and I, I will give you some tips, but I would say first, also like, kind of look around the market and see what else is out there. Maybe going in with some, with some evidence of what other companies are offering people in your position would entice them to say, okay, we'll give you, we'll match that. Um, we understand. So do a little bit of maybe market research and, if, and go on some other interviews if you can. 
I totally, totally, totally agree with that, Uh, especially the whole idea of gathering some objective intelligence. So that 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 is exactly what you are describing and suggesting to Ricky to, you know, look, have interviews, maybe even potentially get an offer (laughs) and use that for leverage Leverage. with his current, you know, with his current employer. But I also think um, in addition to that, that don't be afraid just because they may have planted the seed that it's a lateral move. Don't be afraid to still ask. Don't be afraid to, uh, you know, come up with a plan. So like basically present them with a plan where if they say it's a lateral move, then say, okay, so here's my game plan for having a promotion and a salary increase in six months or in three months. What, What needs to happen for you to sign on? Right. Exactly. And if you're not going to give me this promotion now in terms of the financial promotion, what do I have to do in the next three to six months to earn that? And by golly, you're going to be back. You're going to make that appointment and come back (laughs) in six months and hold them accountable to their through their own words. Yeah, totally. But I think the best the best thing that he could do is exactly what you suggested, because that will just give him a lot more confidence Mm -hmm. in the plan that he puts together and what he asks for. Oh, gosh, it really bothers me when companies do that, because I think what they're hoping is that you're going to just become a creature of habit. Jumping ship is a lot of work. Doing this, what, what I'm telling you to do is not going to be easy. You'll have to go out there and kind of do some homework. But there's a lot of online resources that can help. Payscale.com, Monster.com. There's a, a, a few websites out there that will help you at least ballpark figure, fi- see what your competing companies are offering people with your position, your experience. And then go on LinkedIn and maybe find connections and you know have conversations with people about you know, what is your job description? What kind of salary should I expect given that we have similar job descriptions? You know, people are not that resistant to revealing their salaries if it's just you asking them one-on-one in privacy. I think that if you approach a friend or someone you trust that is a peer in your industry, that maybe they'd be willing to kind of go down that path and talk to you about salary from their perspective so you have some context when you go into this meeting. And another place to add to that would be Vault, V-A-U-L-T. Great. Yeah, I love Vault. Well, mm-hmm. Jackette, you've been so awesome. I could not have answered. This episode would not have happened without you. Can I just oh, say thank that? You. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You are far more knowledgeable in, in, in some of these areas than I ever will be. So thank you so much for coming to our show again. We'd love to have you back, make you a regular on Ask Farnoosh, as I have some other of my favorite financial experts. So it everybody, would be my check pleasure. out. Yeah, tell us where we can learn more about you. I want you to brag a little bit about yourself now. So. <laughs> okay. Um, you can go to jacquettetimmons.com. And if you go to jacquettetimmons.com forward slash wheel, you can actually download a free exercise called uh, the financial wheel. And it's all about helping you to create a new financial reality, but l- doing that by blending the emotions of money with the math of money. Because what I've, what I know from both personal experience and from working with clients is that when you combine your emotions and your beliefs and your behavior with money, with the analysis of the numbers, you end up making better decisions and therefore making or getting better results. So download that. It's free. And, um, 
depending upon when folks are listening to this, I'm also doing a 401k pop-up class because folks, Ooh. you know, it's open enrol- it's open enrollment season and folks spend a lot of time looking at their health benefits, which is an important thing to do, but they often neglect looking at their 401ks. It's almost as if it's on autopilot and um, because it's on autopilot, they're not giving it any love, any attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they haven't evaluated their contribution. They haven't evaluated, um, you know, the the allocation of their mutual funds. So there's a lot that they may potentially be leaving on the table unwittingly because they're not paying attention. So there will be a pop up class to address that. So much going on in your world. I know. Thank you. <laughs> this is and it's all and that's free. Well, that one is not free, but the financial wheel is free. Yeah. The financial wheel is free, but the pop-up class is not free. Okay. Well, it's worth every penny. Everyone run um, (laughs) to get that. And I just want to end by saying that if you would like to reach me and ask me a question, ask our guests a question, hop over to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh every Friday. I try to answer as many questions as possible. And as a reminder, this is the month of November, so we are... Uh, and I say, I say we, myself and Joe Salcihai of Stacking Benjamins, we're in a bit of a charity challenge for the month of November. We wanted to use our pl- our podcast as a platform to give back and raise issues with uh, some of our favorite charities, philanthropies. And so I have chosen Thon as uh, as the So Money charity for November. And if you go to thon.org forward slash so money and contribute, you'll help us beat the uh, Stacking Benjamins uh, audience. They have their own charity that they're rooting for. All this information at somoneypodcast.com. Thon, by the way, is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world. It is affectionately known as Thon, uh, but it really stands for Dance Marathon. And it's a year-long effort to raise funds and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It takes place at Penn State University, where I went to school. I danced it, and I live to tell the story. 46 hours is a long time to be on your feet. But of course, I would have done it for 164 hours. It's a great cause. And so encourage you to contribute and we'll keep you posted, you know, along the way this month, how we're doing. We hope to win because the loser, this is what the loser has to face. And I hope it's, I hope it's, uh, Joe, I get to write because I'm going to win. I get to write his introduction to his podcast for the new year and it's not going to be pretty. (laughs) So don't let me be the loser, okay? Go to thon.org oh, forward awesome. slash so money and donate what you can. A dollar, five dollars, every little bit helps. Awesome. Thanks everyone. Thank you, Jackette. Thank, thank you, you thank you, thank news. you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Hope your Friday and your weekend is so money.